Well, hello everybody down in Shrewsbury, Barnabas Church. It is good to be with you today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, which is probably most of you, uh, my name's Caleb, Caleb Elwood, and uh, I'm one of the elders at Gateway Church up in York. And uh, just by way of introduction, a little bit about me. Um, so I'm married to the lovely Rona, um, who is uh, originally from Edinburgh, but uh, I managed to persuade her somehow to come and, and live in the beautiful city of York. And uh, we have three children, Emma, who is seven, and uh, Micah and Maisie, who are twins, and, uh, and they are uh, four years old. And uh, I grew up around here. I am at Yorkshire-born and Yorkshire-bred, strong in arm and thick in head, as they say. And uh, although maybe all of that is true, I'm not sure. Um, but if, if your first thought is, you know, what, why does he put on that silly accent when he talks? Uh, I'm, I'm afraid <laughs> this is just, <laughs> this is it. It's not going to change for the rest of the talk now. Uh, th this is the way things are. Uh, but thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me uh, to be with you this morning. It's a, a privilege uh, to be here and to, to take part in this series of uh, that you're doing of going through the book of Acts together. Um, now, I, I, I want to start off just by, by telling you a little bit about something that happened um, about 15 years ago uh, in our church here. Now, I, I don't, I'm not going to go into huge amounts of detail, um, but, but I think it might just kind of resonate with, with you guys and where you're at at the moment. So um, I, I grew up in a, uh, going to church, my parents committed believers, uh, very involved in their local Anglican parish rural church, and uh, my, my dad's the organist still is, has been since he was 15 years old. Uh, he's now been doing that for 60-something years, I think. Uh, my mum uh, is uh, is church warden there and very involved. And, and I grew up going to church there. But the thing I struggled with as I went through my teenage years really was that I, um, I didn't have many peers and certainly not any who were male. Uh, the only other young people in the church within about kind of 15 years of my age were uh, my sisters and one other family of girls and I just struggled and and kind of that's actually quite a lonely experience quite a difficult um experience and uh, when I got to the age of um uh, 16 came to York College to do some A-levels and, and bumped into Christians my age lo and behold I wasn't the only male Christian 16 year old in the world and uh, I met some I really enjoyed who they were what they were about and eventually ended up coming to their church, which happened to be this church that I'm now uh, part of the leadership of. And uh, so I started attending when I was about 16. And uh, probably about 18 months, two years into that experience, we as a church went through um, a, a really painful split in the leadership where um, actually we had, we had two elders at the time and uh, for whatever reason, they parted ways and uh, one uh, one of the elders left and uh, took about a third of the church and uh, they went off and started their own thing. It was not on good terms. It did not end well. It wasn't a healthy church plant. This was a painful split. And, uh, and it all happened at a meeting. It actually all came to a head at a, a, a midweek meeting. And my experience there, my that that night will be forever ingrained in my memory. I was sitting with two friends, one either side of me, uh, two good friends around my a, a similar age to me. And uh, a, a, during that meeting, um, this leader and a group of people who, who'd kind of said, we'll, we'll go with him, uh, left 
partway through that meeting. And my experience was that one of my friends on one side of me stayed, one of my friends on the other side of me stood up and walked out. And uh, this was true for so many people in the church at the time. Uh, some families even kind of split down the middle, an incredibly painful time. And, you know, I, I know that your situation is different, Barnabas, but I know that there is a lot of pain at the moment for many people within the church. Um, I, I just want to say, look, I, I, I haven't been through what you're going through, but, but I understand the pain caused by... Um, by division and by leadership issues and by people leaving like I, I i understand that and and it is difficult and and i can't offer any quick fixes at all but i just want to assure you that i am praying for you i'm praying for your leaders i'm praying for the health and future of you as a church community now on that night on that wednesday evening in november uh, 2004. Uh, I, I'd i been, like I said, been going to that church for about, this church I should say, for about two years. And uh, and there was a lady who I, I knew um, reasonably well, not incredibly well, an older, wiser lady. And uh, at one point in the evening, I just kind of stood up and I walked out and I went to the, the bathroom to have a little cry by myself. And she came and she found me <laughs> and she said, uh, some wise words that, that stung at the time and maybe, you know, with hindsight could have been delivered in a softer way. But she, she basically said to me, she said, Caleb, you, you didn't think that we were a perfect church, did you? <laughs> and, and I remember that stuck with me. There, there are no perfect churches, are there? That, that is true. It's a painful truth. We're all imperfect people making up imperfect churches. And difficult, painful things happen. And, and and that was a lesson I learned uh, at the age of 18. And uh, it's, it's a lesson, I guess, I'm very aware of today. Our church is not a perfect church. And so, so if, if perfection is beyond any church, then, then, then what is attainable? Like, what should we be aiming for as a church? And really, this is what I want to talk about today. And, and from, from the passage in Acts that that I've I've been looking at over these last few weeks in preparing to uh, to speak with you guys today. What what should we be, you know, kind of aiming for? Should we be aiming for average or kind of better than that? Kind of near perfection, perfection. I I, I want to say like I I want to be part of an outstanding church. I don't know about you. Is that is that true for you? Do you want to be part of an outstanding church? I do. I don't want to just settle for anything less than the best God has for us. I don't want to set, settle for, you know, mid-table League One average, right? Shrewsbury Town. Don't worry, York City or somewhere, you know, I don't know where, but like League, non-League, North, something. So so I know I can't really make a comment about Shrewsbury, but I don't want to settle for average. <laughs> I, want to, I want to settle for, I want to aim for outstanding. And uh, the church we're looking at today, the church we are going to be kind of thinking about, I would say, was an outstanding church. This was a church in uh, a city called Antioch, uh, a city that um, was was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. You'd find it today, the, the site of it today, in, in modern-day Turkey. 
And, uh, and, and they get a glowing write-up in the book of Acts, this church in Antioch. And I, I want to explore, want to read through the passage now, and then want to just try and pull out and draw out what, what was it about them that made them an outstanding church, worthy of, of such a, a glowing write-up. Okay, so, uh, so I'm just going to read. Uh, we pick this uh, story up in Acts 11. And uh, we start at verse 19. I'm going to be reading from the, the New Living Translation just because I'm a simple person and I find it scans a little easier than the NIV. So um, <clears throat> it goes like this. Meanwhile, the believers who had scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at, at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for, for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians, which just want to pause there. I uh, read something funny in a commentary uh, about this, that uh, Christians, the, the kind of original language around that in Greek would have, would have translated as anointed ones. They would have been known as the anointed ones, which apparently to the local population who wouldn't have understood the kind of Jewish thing of, of somebody being anointed, the Christ, the Messiah, would have probably translated more like oily ones. So it may well be that in being called Christians, uh, this was, was potentially an insult uh, of, of being called the oily ones, which uh, I just thought was, was great, or maybe not great. But uh, during this time, some prophets travelled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like an outstanding church to me. That sounds like the kind of church I, I want to be part of a church like that. I don't know about you. And, uh, and actually, what's interesting is that uh, this, this is quite a turning point in the book of Acts. The focus has been in Jerusalem and the church in Jerusalem and, you know, all, all that they were and, and all that they did. And, and from this point on, actually, uh, the church in Jerusalem is only really mentioned in a secondary way. Uh, we hear of things happening and people going to and from, and there's the council where the, the leaders in Jerusalem are, are asked some difficult questions and they have to make a pronouncement about that. Uh, but actually, the, the, the kind of focal point, the centre of the story now of the, of the church and the next phase of, of mission and the church growing to nation upon nation is from this kind of base in Antioch. Jerusalem becomes much more secondary from this point on. Now, what are the ingredients of 
being an outstanding church? Is it, you know, thinking of yourself as outstanding? If you think you will, you know, that's the theory, isn't it? I, I read recently that um, I, I believe it's 75% of software engineers put themselves in the top 5% of performers of software engineers. Doesn't stack up mathematically, does it? Believing that you are something doesn't make you it automatically. Was it the, the large numbers turning to God? Did that make them outstanding? Well, maybe they did see this, didn't they? Was it their, their generosity, thinking of other churches and sending money Maybe that made them outstanding. That was, you know, they were very generous. Was it that they became this base where they were now sending out missionaries um, out to, to, to further lands and nations and countries? Maybe that's what made them outstanding. They did do this after all. Uh, th- these are great things, but I want to suggest that, that, that actually they're the fruit of a healthy church rather than necessarily the ingredients, the things to do to make yourself an outstanding church you see maybe think about it like this with a with a truly terrible analogy if if you were to go on holiday and uh, you observed somebody uh, who who you your opinion was that they had an outstanding body like an outstanding physique and uh, and you saw them sitting or lounging on a sun lounger all day every day and uh, sipping on endless pina coladas, you might be tempted to think that sitting on a sun lounger, sipping pina colada after pina colada, would, would, would be the, the model to follow, the, the thing to do for you to gain a great physique. But you would be wrong, <laughs> very wrong, wouldn't you? What you are doing there is observing the fruits of their hard work. You're, you're seeing the fruit of something else under the surface, most likely a healthy diet and lots of exercise. That is not how you gain a healthy body. And I, I'm not sure that copying the fruit of another church, what another church does and the way that God uses another church is the way to be an outstanding church. So so maybe let's dig down a little deeper about this in Antioch. What were some of the, the fundamental things that they believed or, or the things that were under the surface that resulted in some of this fruit? Well, I want to suggest that they understood that the gospel was for everyone. That's one of the key things here um, that I think they understood and they preached it to many people and to all different kinds of people. They had leaders who were described as being full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. That's a a good thing under the surface that will lead to fruit, definitely. I want to suggest that they had prophetic-led action. They heard from God that they had people functioning in the prophetic gift who, who heard from God and that led them to action. We read that in, in the prophetic-led action of, of having an offering for another church that everyone gave. This was, this was total buy-in, uh, you know, big action led by the prophetic. Now, I actually believe, from what I know of you guys as a church, that many of these things are true for you already. Your website, I've been on it, and it says right at the top, a church for everyone. You get that the gospel is for everyone. It's not just for us, it's for everyone. And and that includes all kinds of different people. I think you get that. 
I don't know all of your leaders, but I do know Martin and, and Dave uh, reasonably well. And I know them to be men who are full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And I know that you do a lot of good stuff. And I'm sure that that has been brought about by hearing God, hearing the prophetic. I know about your food bank and the food bank plus stuff that you do. My wife has been impressed by the work you do. She's uh, had the privilege of partnering with you with the charity that she works for in, in some of the fr- flood relief and um, appeals that that you've been involved with. And, you know, these are good things and I know them to be true of you. And, and, and those those are great things to continue on and to be and to, to, to grow in strength in even more. But but I, I, I almost feel like there's another layer of kind of depth here that we, we need to explore and think about. Having read a little bit about the context in Antioch, the, the fact that they got the gospel was for everyone and they preached to all kinds of people. Maybe, maybe part of that was because, yes, they understood the gospel and they got that it's for everyone, but maybe part of it was because they, they had a, a diverse um, the, the diverse nature of their leadership. So I don't know if you knew this about them, but their leadership team, the, the, as, as we understand it, was made up of Barnabas, who is, was, would, could be described as a bicultural Cypriot Jew, uh, of Simeon, who was most likely a black African, of Lucius, who was probably kind of North African, we might consider today to be Arabic, uh, you had Menaean, who was raised in Herod's household, most likely a, a kind of wealthy aristocrat. And, uh, and Paul, a Jewish academic. Maybe knowing that the gospel was for everyone and that being part of what they did and preaching it to everyone was actually a result of just who they were. <laughs> it was a result of the strength God had, had, had kind of embedded in them by the, the diversity within the makeup of their leadership. Maybe one of the reasons that they were able to be generous, just a really practical thing, was that a number of the, a large number of, of, of the church were part of the merchant class. They were reasonably wealthy people in a, in quite a thriving city. And so they could afford to be generous. In other words, and, and this is what I'm trying to get to really, beneath the surface, what I'm, I'm wondering about this church in Antioch, yes, they did some really good stuff that we can copy and we can model and, and we can aspire to be if we want to be an outstanding church. But maybe they were actually just being true to themselves. <laughs> maybe they were just being faithful to, to what God had called them to be. Maybe they were, they were just being true to, to the, the, the gifting they had within the church, the, the people God had brought together in that city to form that local church. Maybe they were just being faithful to God. Now, you know, I, I, I just want to encourage you and I, I want to kind of wrap up and finish with this really. Like I, I, I know bits about you as a church. I don't know everything about you, but, but I want to encourage you to be true to who God has called you to be. This world at the moment is changing. You know this to be true. This pandemic is is changing our world forever. It's going to change all kinds of different things. The, the, the way that people think and are happy about being around one another, the levels of poverty in your town, lots of things are going to change because of this pandemic. And I'm sure that you will be thinking about, well, how do we respond to that? How, how do we How do we meet the needs of the people around us? How do we speak to our culture? 
as it changes around us. Good questions to ask, I am sure. But what I, I want to encourage you, and I just kind of sense as I've been praying for you over the past few days, really, is that God, God is, 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 is encouraging you to not just ask the question, what shall we do? But actually to ask a better question, which that will flow out of. And the better question is, who are we? Like, who have you called us to be, God? Now, I don't know why you're called Barnabas Church. I don't know the history around that. I'm sure I could ask and, and find out. But I just sense that, that actually there's something important there, that, that, that God wants to remind you of why he has called you to be Barnabas Church and allow that, your identity, who, who he has founded you to be as a people, as a family, as a community, he wants to encourage you to, to, to allow that to shape how you respond and what you look like going forward. He, he wants you to, 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 yes, model yourselves on a church like Antioch and be generous and have prophetic-led action and, and, and get that the, the gospel is for everyone. But he, he also wants you to, to be true to who you really are as a church, to the the, the passions he has put in you, the, the, the gifting of the people who, who make up you as a family. I, I, I just believe that he is calling you to be that and to ask that question, who are we? And I don't feel like that question, the answer to that question is beyond your reach. I genuinely feel like that you know this already. <laughs> you know who you are. Now, now, the way you respond needs to flow out of that. Who, who has God called you to be? And, and, and I truly believe that if you heed that call, if you work from a starting point of this is God, who God has called us to be, therefore this is what we're going to do, what we're going to look like and how we're going to be and how we need to adapt to reach the culture around us, then you will continue to be an outstanding church that sees God's kingdom come in powerful, profound, meaningful, tangible ways in Shrewsbury. You will see that happen. He will build his church. There will be fruit that will come from that health. Now, I just want to pray uh, to finish today. Father God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Shrewsbury. I thank you that you have called them together as a family and you've given them an identity as Barnabas. And Father, I pray for them as they move forward, as they build, as they adapt, as they grow, as they seek to respond to this changing, these changing times. Father, I pray that you would give them confidence and courage in, in their identity, in who you have called them to be. And I pray that they would continue to be an outstanding church that sees your kingdom come in Shrewsbury and the surrounding area. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for having me this morning. It's been great to spend some time with you. And uh, not this morning, whatever time of day you, uh, you engage with this. But it's, it's, I look forward to being there one day in person to be with you. Um, but uh, have a great day and I will hopefully see you soon.